there's analog versions of this in the regular world. The example I always use is you order an Airbnb, right? You care about what Airbnb you order, right? You can't just switch it out. You don't want to show up in, in your room and it's a different Airbnb that you didn't order, right? That's non-fungible. Welcome to Airdrop, a show that's going to help you understand what NFTs are and how to use them and how they work and all that stuff. I'm Rawion. And I'm Phosphorus. And we're here to help creators, investors, and regular people just like you and me learn how all this stuff works. Today, we're talking to Obsidian and Plutus, who are the founders and original developers of Byzantium. Byzantium is this really cool NFT minting and trading platform that wants to give artists the best place to launch their masterpieces and give collectors the best selections of NFTs built specifically on stacks. Don't worry. If you're already confused on what an NFT is, what is stacks, how does all this work, we understand. We're right there with you. And don't worry. We're here to ask all the right questions or the wrong questions. Either way, we're going to ask a lot of questions. Right. In this whole world, there's a lot of uh, random words and things that you feel like you're supposed to know what it means, but you don't know what it means. We're here to help you understand what it all means. One of the biggest takeaways from this conversation that Rawion and I are going to have with Obsidian and Plutus is that these fellas did not start this journey with any intention of setting up a Stacks marketplace or the biggest NFT marketplace on Stacks. Right. What's funny is they started out just like you and me, trying to figure out how this whole thing works and accidentally created one. Right. It's kind of like you're like, oh, this is pretty interesting technology. How does it work? Let me try it. Let me give it a shot. And suddenly you've got this big thing happening that just came out of nowhere. And then what's crazy about this, and I mean, Rawion and I are just trying to figure this out. We are new to this world. We don't quite understand anything. And so we decided that the best way to learn is just going to talk to as many people who do know as possible and then share that information with you. Right. And that's what we're going to do here on this show. And we decided this was the best place to start because this is going to we're going to start the very beginning of like what is blockchain? How does NFTs work? What is the utility and all that goodness and, and why they picked stacks over Ethereum and why they why they're using Bitcoin stuff and all. We'll get there. Don't worry. Right. It will be cool. One of the biggest takeaways that I got from this is you really have to start before you're ready. And to make a successful business or an NFT platform or whatever, you really got to scratch your own itch. If you don't see it, it's your time to build it. Yeah. And it, uh, Byzantium is a really good example of that happening and being really successful. And as far as we're concerned, we know that we're good at one thing. Asking stupid questions. It's so, so true. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what we're here for. Um, and hopefully you get a lot out of this episode. Hopefully you learn a lot. We're definitely learning a lot. So uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Without further ado, let's drop in. So we have some really special guests today. We have the founders themselves of Byzantium. Uh, Byzantium is an NFT marketplace. We have Obsidian and Plutus. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, uh, basically, my first question is, what was the moment? This is all relatively new. This is happening sometime in 2021. All of this new technology is popping out of, out of feels like thin air. What was the moment that y'all knew that you needed to start Byzantium? Yeah. Question. Uh, <laughs> so this is Obsidian, BTC. Uh, I, I mean, Plutus, uh, it was a phone call, right? It was just like I was driving down the road with my wife, called Plutus up, and I was like, man, this is the time. We need to move right now. And we can get into that, and that's a little bit vague. There was some like core reasons that we chose the moment that we chose. Um, but it started with a phone call like three months ago and it was just kind of like an aligning of stars where we knew like, this is the moment to kind of move in. Yeah. What was like the inciting incident that got, that got that, you know, like you're in the car and you're like, Oh, I need to call him right now. You know, like where did, 
what brought that up. Do oh, you yeah. remember? Yeah. So, okay. If you like rewind stacks, I guess three months ago, um, I guess something that's like really important and maybe like our background and backstory, like we've been following stacks for a long time. So like almost five years at this point, um, it wasn't even called stacks. It was block stack. And before that it was, um, when they were just doing domain DNS, but, um, for like to develop in kind of the crypto ecosystem, there's like two really important factors. One is like if you, as a developer, right, you need testing tools. So if you're going to write a smart contract, it's really important to test it, right, for like obvious security reasons and just um, to know that you're moving in the right direction. So like testing frameworks are really important. So we got a testing framework in the Stacks ecosystem this summer called ClareNet which really kind of changed the game for development because you don't have to just push to test net and like hope it works, right? You can actually do like all of your testing locally on your computer. And then um, the next big one was what's called the SIP9 standard. So we'll get into this, I'm sure. But for NFTs, right, one of the beauties of them is like, you know, like on Ethereum, you could buy something on OpenSea, you could buy something on like Rarible, you could buy something kind of wherever on any exchange, right? And you can take it to any other exchange, right? Or it works with any wallet. And the reason for that is because there's standardization around the NFT protocol. Just like SMS, you can pick up any phone, any phone can read an SMS because there's a standardization on that protocol. So we got the SIP9 standard in the Stacks ecosystem, I don't know, I guess like three, three and a half months ago. Um, and then that's what allowed kind of the NFT boom to even happen. So that was kind of like that first inside moment is like we had the two things necessary to actually build here, one testing frameworks and one, the actual standardization of the protocols. Gotcha. Yeah. And to elaborate on that a little bit more um, over, you know, this year NFTs have just blown up um, on Ethereum, especially I mean, in, in August, OpenSea did more volume than eBay. Wow. So back in, I guess back in the spring, there was a, a bit of a crypto crash and um, I kind of got bored and started looking around at other areas of crypto outside of just like Bitcoin and Ethereum and the typical coins. And, um, you know, been hearing a lot about NFTs. Um, but then there was just a kind of a light bulb moment of like, Oh, I, I get this. This is just collectibles and it makes sense. You know, I'd, I'd kind of brushed it off before. Um, so I'd played around with NFTs throughout the summer um, nothing serious, but was really fascinated by the use cases and kind of just the feel of it. It was super addicting. Um, so more so than like when you get into trading crypto, um, for some reason, when you start buying NFTs, you just can't stop. Um, so, you know, this whole time I was relaying kind of this, this to Obsidian while we were also talking about the development of the testing tools on stacks. Um, and, you know, it was just kind of, as we started talking through both of those, um, the wheels started turning, uh, cause basically we were like, this is the time to develop on stacks. And we just weren't quite sure yet what, what it was until, until that moment that, uh, that Obsidian picked up the phone and called me. Okay. All right. Dumb question. Number one, there were probably several dumb questions in this. What is stacks? Help. We got to start from the beginning. Right, right. Uh, Obsidian was like, oh, we took the uh, WX590-5000 and we put it in the warp capacity. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Right? There's so much language like that in this world. Like, we want to we wanna know, like, explain it like you're talking to your mom or your grandma or, like, in the simplest way possible. Like, what is Stacks? What is a blockchain? What is What are NFTs? You know, like, we really want to get in there and get a simple explanation of it. So if you could start at the beginning, that would be fantastic. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's rewind. Let's, let's just start from a base layer, right? All stupid questions. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Just stupid people. Yeah. We're well, maybe. <laughs> even there. I don't, I don't know, but um, we just boil it back. Like, what's a blockchain, right? And you can go, anybody's listening to this can go into like a super deep dive here, but I'm just going to give like the 30,000 foot view where one of the major, I think, breakthroughs of blockchain in general, like blockchain technology and Bitcoin, right, is it solves, right, I'm going to use a terminology, but let's, everybody knows this reference, like you can right-click save anything on the internet, right? Any file, you can duplicate it immediately. 
So because of this, there's like no scarcity online or like just in computers in general, right? That's like one of the major breakthroughs of the internet. One of the major breakthroughs of computing in general is like, hey, you can make as many copies as long as you have enough storage as possible. So that's what enables like the giants like Spotify, right? They can create kind of one song and you can stream it to a billion people, right? Because it's infinitely replicable. So that's amazing. But where it's not great is when it comes to money, right? You don't want people to just like right click save your dollar bill. So what blockchains did is they solved that problem where it's like, okay, how do we keep track of one? Like what is like a real, what is the original asset? Right. And how do we track like where it's moving? So two people can't own the same thing at the same time. Right. You can't. It's called the double spin problem. There's a lot of other problems that Bitcoin solved um, of like how we come to consensus about who actually owns what. But that's what blockchains do. So the chain itself in a block, let's just assume like I'm trading with Phosphorus and Plutus and Rayon and I send something to Plutus. Right. And then there's a bunch of transactions that happen, say, like every 15 minutes. What we're going to do is we're going to bundle all those transactions together and put them in what's called a block. And then you're going to have supercomputers all over the world basically secure this block. Okay. So what's happened is in the Bitcoin ecosystem, they were kind of the first and they're the most secure, right? They've been running the longest. It's the most like battle tested by a long shot. And because of its kind of, um, it's called like proof of work mechanism. It's just the most secure chain. Right. But what it's really, really good at is for us sending transactions to one another and making sure that we have an up to date ledger of where who holds what money over time. Right. So that's kind of like Bitcoin blockchains in a short and sweet version. Okay? It solves that problem of scarcity. Now, um, there was this other development on Ethereum where they're like they kind of expanded on this idea of like, OK, Bitcoin is great for sending money, but you can't do what much else with it. Right. It's a really secure way to send money. So Ethereum's kind of like interesting evolution was, okay, what if we made basically programs like this? There was called smart contracts. And all a smart contract is, it's just like a program um, or a line, a couple lines of code that's decentralized, meaning anybody can call into it. So you'd be like, okay, how is that different than like regular programs? Say like you log into Facebook, right? Um, Facebook, all of those, say, algorithms and all the code that's behind the scenes, Facebook controls, right? And they can change it and they can update it at any point in time. And the only way you get access to it is if you log into Facebook, right? And then there's like a ton of internal code that's going on that we don't have access to, right? Like I can't change someone else's password, right? Like that is localized to Facebook. So in a decentralized or smart contract, it's basically a code base that anybody can call into at any time. And it's immutable. It can't be changed. So that gives security. It's a double-edged sword, right? It gives security and also can like open up some exploits, right? Because it's live in the wild. What was important about this is anybody can call into it. And like why this is actually a huge breakthrough and like why decentralized finance is broken into it, or, like why it's so big in decentralized finance. And let's say like, you know, we have access to US banks and like US bank accounts. If you're from Indonesia, you don't have access to the banks that we have access to, right? You have to be an American citizen to have access to that, or you even have to live in the same region, or you got to have a certain address. What this allows is that anybody in the world with an internet connection has access to this program. So you could write a bank, and anybody has access to it, right? So, and that's kind of what's happened with um, in this ecosystem. So two major things came out of this with smart contracts is you can write programs that anybody can call into and two kind of big ecosystems developed around that. One was decentralized finance, which makes sense because like we're using Bitcoin as a currency and we're using Ethereum as a currency. So one of the first use cases was currency and um, decentralized finance. And then the second big breakthrough was NFTs. Um, I can stop there if you have questions, but we can go down the whole like NFT rabbit hole and what NFTs are. But what's really important here is that they are only, you can only have NFTs if you have smart contracts. So Bitcoin, so you have these like two ecosystems and a bunch of other chains that are popping up. You know, um, Ethereum's had smart contracts in the very beginning. Bitcoin has never had smart contracts, right? It was just good for sending money. And so what's happening is Stacks came along and it's another chain, it's a layer one chain that uses Bitcoin to, um, basically hash all its blocks, so secured by Bitcoin. So every transaction that happens on Stacks eventually ends up on the Bitcoin blockchain. So you get the security of Bitcoin, 
But Stacks also has its own smart contract language, which allows us to do things like NFTs on top of Bitcoin. Okay, so it's like a different currency on top of Bitcoin and, and the Bitcoin technology, that whole system. Yes, it is. It's also, you know, the, the goal of it is not necessarily to be a different currency on top of it, but to be a layer that enables smart contracts that are tied to Bitcoin and that you can eventually interact with with Bitcoin. Um, so it's, it's gotcha. extending okay. the functionality of Bitcoin to smart contracts. So any basically anything that you can do on Ethereum, you can do with Stacks, which is then settled on Bitcoin. And Bitcoin's scripting language is just, it's not robust enough to allow for smart contracts, which is a feature, not necessarily a bug, because it was optimized for security. Whereas Ethereum was optimized for features and um, flexibility and being able to do, kind of do everything. Um, it both being a store of value, a way to send money around, but also a smart contract platform. The goal of Bitcoin was to be as secure as possible. And even Satoshi in the Bitcoin white paper alludes to other chains like Stacks that could extend the functionality of Bitcoin because Bitcoin is just optimized for security. Gotcha. And that's that's why uh, for Byzantium, you specifically chose to work within the Bitcoin uh, ecosystem because of that safety that's there? Yeah, I think there's a couple layers to that. I mean, you know, Byzantium, I mean, long-term vision, right? We do think like stacks gets abstracted away, right? And you'll be like buying all these NFTs with actual Bitcoin or, you know, doing on Lightning, doing on everything. One of the major reasons for building here on Stacks is like we believe in Bitcoin, right? We also we're not like Bitcoin maximalists by any means, clearly. Um, we own things on Ethereum as well. But if you're just going to look at the market total, right? There's more Bitcoin holders than anything else, right? So there's more users with a Bitcoin wallet than any any other chain. Um, so that's kind of one of the major reasons. Yeah, and in addition to that, um, you know, one. Bitcoin is the most secure. The longer that a chain is around, the more secure it becomes and the, um, the longer it is likely to be around. That's something called the Lindy effect, uh, which is kind of the longer something is around, the more potential it has to be around for a longer time. So with NFTs specifically, the attraction to like being able to secure them by on the Bitcoin chain is... Um, that is, at least right now, what seems the most likely to be around for the longest time. So if you want to secure your artwork for uh, the longest period of time possible, um, then you'd want to tie that to the Bitcoin chain. Whereas if you tie it to Avalanche or use Avalanche, which is another chain similar to Stacks, but uh, is its, its own chain and secured by itself, you're kind of just counting on Avalanche being around, and it's only been around for a year. And so there's a lot lower likelihood that that is around in 50 years than there is for Bitcoin. So we're talking about Bitcoin being the most secure uh, cryptocurrency chain. Stacks is the smart contract uh, that allows to program onto Bitcoin. And if therefore, therefore, if Bitcoin is around, we know that your NFTs or whatever you're buying will also be around, which brings us into what is an NFT. So an NFT, in my mind, right, it's a non-fungible token, which means there could only be one of them, Uh, right? Am I right on this so far? So that is, there are non-fungible tokens and there are fungible tokens. Fungible tokens are Bitcoin and Ethereum, and those are completely interchangeable. If you have a Bitcoin and I have a Bitcoin, we could trade each other and we don't care, you know, that we traded because they're the the same. Non-fungible tokens can be similar, but each one is unique in one way or another. And so they're not completely interchangeable. And you may not, um, when if you trade someone for one, you know, for what they have, even if it's similar, it's not going to be exactly the same. Um, so it's a way to have kind of distinct collectible items um, that are defined uh, via a smart contract. 
Okay, so the smart contract allows you to, quote unquote, maybe write code around this one digital asset, right? So there's, you can't change it, whatever that asset may be, right? Which is why this is so important. Yeah, it's super important. So, right, there's like, there's analog versions of this in the regular world, right? So the example I always use is if we jump in and like you order an Airbnb, right? You care about what Airbnb you ordered, right? You can't just switch it out. You don't want to show up and show up in, in your room and it's a different Airbnb that you didn't order, right? That's non-fungible. And then there's fungible things like this glass, right? So this glass right here, like I could pick up any other glass that looks exactly the same. I don't care, right? Like, I, or a chair is a chair for the most part. Like you have two wooden chairs, they look exactly identical. Pick one or the other, nobody's gonna get mad at you. They just want a chair, okay? So those are what are called fungible assets. Like your US dollar, again, you don't care which dollar you get, as long as it's a $1 bill, you're good. So that's super important. Um, so those are we have a lot of analogies in the analog world. The reason NFTs are a huge deal, and I'm going to piggyback off of art, and we can kind of get into like NFTs will surpass art for sure, right? Um, but this is like the medium where it started. So <laughs> um, when it comes to like NFTs, let's just take the like, analog world of art. Okay, let's say it's a famous art piece. Like if you look at um, Oh, what's the famous painting with the star? Starry Night is by Van Gogh, right? Yeah, Starry Night, Van Gogh, beautiful. The reason Starry Night is so, one of the reasons that it's worth as much as it is, right, is because like Van Gogh, he he pioneered a new art form, right? He kind of left like classical art, pioneered this new way of painting, and so if you look at a Van Gogh, you can tell it's by him, right? Or it's a derivative of him. It means like somebody's copying him, right? But he was able to pioneer this new art style, and that's why he's such a famous artist. Okay, if you go into the digital world, right, it's really hard to prove that you're the person who pioneered anything, right? Because someone can right-click save, they can scrape the metadata. There's no way to like track that it was sent from this email to this email and then download on a hard drive and then pass it over here, right? There's no yeah, way to custody. There's two really important things, say, in art in general. One is called provenance, and the other one's called chain of custody. So let's start with provenance. It's important to be able to prove who created something and be able to validate it's them. So like with art pieces, right, there's ways of proving provenance. Like there's kind of a fingerprint to like how someone paints art, and that's how we do validations. Around signatures, kind of the way to do art, we can see it. But in the digital world, there's not super a way to do that because you can clean anything, right? It's just bits and zeros. So you can just like clean your bits and zeros. So there was no incentive for artists to really pioneer art forms inside the digital world, right? I mean, you had, like, of course, we've had digital art, like this website, you know, that is a form of art, but there was no real careers that you could build as an artist and pioneering new work. Right. And NFTs no easy ones anyway. No easy ones. Yeah. Exactly. Or like ways to really like capture the value. Right. So right. the provenance piece is super important. And then when it comes to collectible, chain of custody is really important. So like, you know, when you buy a house in the United States, you're going to like to do the deed, right? You're going to purchase, you're going to get a, uh, a deed to the house and there's this transfer of ownership, right? So you can go to your, like your local courthouse, look up any house and you can see the chain of custody, right? The same thing happens in the art world. Right. Every time one of these like major pieces changes hands, there's this chain of custody where people are taking one deed and they're passing it to the other person. Well, blockchains are really good at chain of custody, right? There's this ledger that every time you change, exchange a token, you can follow that token over time and see every hand it ever passed into. So NFTs were enabled by smart contracts. And what an NFT is, at least in the art form, um, is you're going to post, you're basically going to take a picture or you're going to create a piece of art. You're going to save it in what we call IPFS or any other cold storage, decentralized storage. So there's going to be one of one. It's immutable. It can never be changed. And then you're going to have metadata for that token or for that piece of art that's also going to be stored in what's called IPFS and it can never get changed. So what's going to happen is um, then we're going to create a smart contract and we're going to tie a token to that metadata and it's frozen in time. And that token will always only point to this metadata ever. And then anytime it gets traded, um, there's going to be a chain of custody and we can kind of follow the chain of custody. 
Holy crap. That was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I've been trying to research this stuff and like put it together. And you, what you just said in five minutes is the most sense I've ever heard out of any of this. So what you're saying is since the creation of smart contracts and how we can trace back the digital ownership as well as who made it, we're about to see a second renaissance of digital art that if now artists can actually be noticed and get paid for their work in a whole new way. And you see this with the with the the Beeple auction, right? That was a famous NFT auction sold for $69 million. Well, that's, I think you touched on a really important word, like renaissance. Like if you go back into history, like the renaissance happened during a time of finance, math, and art breakthroughs. Like and actually, that was we didn't mention this, but this was the, kind of the call to Plutus, like in the cards, like, dude, this is the renaissance. Like, this is this is the renaissance of our lifetime for sure. And it even matches with what happened back in the last renaissance. It's art, math, and finance all coming together. Um, so I think that's what we're in. Get in the boat, bro. We're going. Let's go. Yeah, and I think, I think you touched on another important point there, too. Um, there... There's the traditional art world where there are a lot of gatekeepers and yeah. th- there's like an established way to bring your art to market. Um, and not everyone has access to that. And the great thing about all of this being open and decentralized is that anyone who wants to anywhere in the world can create digital art. And, um, you know, if they have the ability to write a smart contract or know someone who does, um, they can create an NFT and sell it. And they don't have to ask anyone for permission. Um, and it doesn't matter where they live or who they are. Um, all that matters is the work that they produce. Um, and so I think that's that's one of the very compelling things about it. Um, so it's it's super exciting for that. So you guys, Obsidian calls Plutus on the phone, driving to go pick up groceries or whatever you're doing. And be like, bro, Renaissance 2.0, it's happening what happens next? I, I'm typically a little little slower to get excited about things than Obsidian. Um, but as we were talking about it, I mean, we had already been talking about building on stacks. Um, I've been primed to be thinking about NFTs because I've been playing with them over the summer. Um, and we started talking and we're like, man, maybe we just need to release an NFT. Uh, like let's, let's figure out how to do this, how to, how this all works and, um, release our own NFT collection. And so that was kind of the next part of it was brainstorming, you know, how do we do that? What do we want to do? Um, and, and when do we want to do this? So I'll let Obsidian pick it up from there. Yeah, so I mean, one of the big things was, I mean, I think the actual conversation with Plutus is like, okay, we want to learn. We've been playing in this space for a long time, right? I mean, been following Bitcoin since 2012, Ethereum from the very beginning, Stacks from the very beginning, and we've always wanted to get into it. And like, you know, as entrepreneurs, we're like, but like, what are the business models? Like, how do you how do you actually build a business here? Right? That was kind of this whole like mental block for us. Like, how do we build on this thing? When we saw kind of the NFT space. We, we grokked it. It took me a while to like kind of like really deeply understand what was going on here, even though I've been following this space for a long time. But we actually, it was kind of like, okay, if we want to learn this space, what are the, what's kind of the pyramid that we should build on to get there? So for us, we're like base layer is probably just like, let's produce our own NFT, right? Then it was like, okay, let's launch other people's NFTs for them. And that's going to give us the skill that we can open up our own marketplace. And like, that's going to teach us the skills necessary to keep going. Right? And we'll see at which layer it actually kind of takes off. And there's still a lot, a lot of other layers that we want to explore. Um, you know, from finance, like when you have stacks, what do you actually do with them? Right? Like how do we like invest them and stuff? But that was that initial conversation of just like, hey, let's learn. How do we accelerate our learning curve as fast as possible? And so we started with like, okay, how do you even build an NFT? And we started with a generative art project first. Okay. So that means... Degenerative art project means you wrote some code into the smart contract for Stacks or Ethereum, right? And you just created one. 
and the code makes a pretty art piece. You don't really have any say in it, and it just does something, right? Am I making this? Wow, that's like so mystical. Sound <laughs> that's what right it now. feels <laughs> like. The code, the code is the artist. It does man. the thing. It's not- give us, give us your mom's explanation of that, please. It's not far off. Um, but thank you. But basically, yeah, we uh, we we wrote a program that generated these art pieces based on um, something called the the Mandelbrot set, and it's an equation that when you graph it, it creates a fractal. A fractal is something that no matter kind of it, it's infinitely complex, and so um, no matter what part of this fractal that you look at, there's always kind of like infinite complexity. So we thought that was we, we like math and we thought that was a cool concept and the, the images that it makes are really, really interesting. And so we're like, we're not really artists. Uh, the only thing we have is math. So but we should probably stick with something like this. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, it just randomly generates images um, based on the, you know, the program that we wrote. And then those are, uh, referenced in a smart contract, as Obsidian mentioned before, you know, you you store the uh, metadata on a decentralized storage service, and um, yeah, then then it becomes an NFT. Okay, you messed a little bit here. I mean, I, I should just like rewind here. This wasn't like, hey, we just like had this dream. It was like we banged our head against the wall for like three weeks. There's like no documentation, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, there there kind of is. Sax Foundation, if you're listening to this, like. We love the documentation you put together. We'd love some more. But um, <laughs> it's like, I mean, that's what we had to start. Like, how do you even get one of these things off the ground? And thankfully, the Stacks community, right? Like, if you go back four months ago, you're going to see like Obsidian Plutus like asking the stupidest questions ever. I'm just like, how do you even do this? Um, and thankfully, the community is amazing. And like, the people, um, you know, from the very beginning, like some of the best engineers, like Freaker and all these guys actually will talk to you, right? It's that early. It's so early that the people who wrote the specifications for NFTs, you can talk with them directly. Wow. Um, it's amazing people. Wow. Wow. Okay. So you, you made these NFTs on stacks, right? Um, you then had to create a website and a marketplace for it. Correct. So if you didn't have somebody else host this, you kind of made everything from the ground up. Which later came became Byzantium. Correct. Yeah. So the first website was actually stacksmandelbrots dot com or dot xyz. I'm not really sure. So what happened? That's easy to type in. And this is this would be a funny story, right? It's kind of known in the ecosystem. But dude, we like we work. I don't know, two and a half weeks, like all nighters. Okay, Um, no sleep, and I'm not like being. I'm not traumatizing this. It was like a very stressful two-week sprint. We get them set up. Okay, we're going to do a 1,000 Mandelbrots. And uh, we launch. Okay, in like 30 seconds, 10 of them sell out. Like immediately, boom. When we were going to be the night before, we were like, man, if we sell one, I'm going to be stoked. Right? Like nobody knows us. We don't you know, know anything. 30 seconds in, 10 of them sell out. And then we start to see error logs. Boom, boom. Transaction fail, transaction fail, transaction fail. No. Put us all hands over to you. <laughs> <laughs> the drama. Uh, yeah. So um, we had gone over this smart contract so many times at this point. So many times. And I wanted to do one last check that everything worked properly uh, before we deployed it. So I liked checking to see when you... You know, when you mint out, when you when all of them have been minted, uh, does it stop minting and like does it error out correctly? I was like, well, I don't want to run it, you know, a thousand times in my test environment because I want to, um, you know, I want to get through that quickly. So I'll just change the that's fair. Change that's the fair. mint limit to to ten, and you know, make sure it works. It worked, but then I forgot to change the mint limit back to a thousand. Oh, <laughs> oh, rough. Yep. Rough. Yep. And that's, uh, I mean, yeah, that was like a 4 a.m. You know, I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and move this over and deploy it and everything. And stupid, stupid, uh, sleepless mistake. So, 
So did you have to do it all again, but with another thousand? Yeah, so we re- re-released it and just airdropped the first ten to the the people who had, um, you know, who had minted those. There are so those, there are those... some V ones out there. We know Ooh. most of the owners, and uh, but yeah, there are some V ones floating around. Ten of them, to be precise. Man, those have to be super, like rare compared to the rest of them i'm assuming right it's like just the story behind it is like oh it was this like glitch you know plutus forgot to put a comma in this spot and it like only released 10 of them man yeah, that's cool the, the plutus is an idiot uh collection <laughs> <laughs> you did this you built the system outwinded byzantium become the place people go to buy stacks NFTs. So can we just get it on the record? How is it that we're supposed to be pronouncing Byzantian, Byzantian, Byzantium? Like how do we, what are we from the, from the horse's mouth? We want to know. Uh, I mean, we call it Byzantian and for, for people who are wondering, right. It's like an interesting name. Like where did it come from? So Byzantium is another pronunciation of the city that we're like Istanbul is now. Right. So it was the center of the world. It was the center of like all trade came through that area, bridge Europe and Asia. Um, so that's where we came to name. We got the name from. It nice. also has a it also has another nice, you know, tie-in to, to Bitcoin. One of the problems that Bitcoin solved was the Byzantine generals problem. So um, that was not a not a main focal point in picking the name, but uh, it's a nice tie-in as well. A happy yeah. accident. Happy accident. Nice. Yeah, so to answer your question, Phosphorus, I mean, you know, we want originally we actually we launched it, we wanted to do an NFT project. We were the second second NFT project. At least V1s were the second NFT project. Yeah, V1s were V2s were the third. But we were the first generative of our V2s, project. Yeah, very first generative of our project. Cool. So, you know, we wanted to do like a first and like do something new and something that people um, really liked. Um, and then kind of what, and also it was important, like at the time, right, there was kind of one other NFT marketplace and they had done a couple of projects, but you know, things weren't like the images weren't actually stored in IPFS, right? So they're kind of stored on like AWS buckets. So basically if someone stopped paying their credit card bill, like it would go away, right? You'd lose your NFT. Um, oh. yeah, exactly. So we were kind of like, okay, how do we do this right? And like, you know, as NFT buyers, right on Ethereum was like, okay, we believe in stacks. We want to make sure stacks has a place where we can do it right. And so there's a couple of things we did that like one is actually storing things in IPFS, actually saving the metadata URI like cold. So like people can't switch the metadata URI. Um, I don't know. There's just a couple of things that we wanted to do, right? And because of that, people started to reach out to us and helping them launch their NFT projects. One of the things like in this ecosystem, I think a lot of people don't know, is there's not a lot of developers even working in crypto in general, right? Crypto is this huge thing, but I think worldwide, like the census, at least this summer, was like there's only 60,000 developers worldwide working inside crypto. And smart contracts, like I don't know, like in stacks... Uh, I don't know what you'd say, but like we know most of the smart contract writers and we can count them on like two hands. Right. So it's like there's just not a lot of people in the space and it's growing now. Um, But, you know, we had to figure basically everything out ourselves and people started reaching out to us to help them launch their projects. So we kind of like kicked off Byzantium as a NFT minting platform. Like we just wanted to help artists not gate the community like any artist wanted to launch. We just wanted to get them up and running. And like a natural byproduct of that is like people want to trade these things or buy them if you miss mint. So we built the marketplace as well. Yeah, to put it in perspective on the numbers, I saw today that there have been 2,000 smart contracts deployed on mainnet for stacks. We've probably deployed over 100. Gotcha. So, yeah, that's... uh, to put it in context. Yeah. So Byzantium is this big place where I can, as an artist, I can make my NFTs, I can sell them, I can buy other artists' NFTs, I can trade them, I can do all this stuff. Do y'all help with, you know, setting up the functionality and the contracts and all of that as well? Yeah, you would be amazed at the amount of customer service that goes into it. But yeah, we definitely, we'll take an artist basically from zero to one. 
you know, it always helps. Like if artists had some metadata and like everything together, of course, that's like a huge thumbs up. And, you know, I'd love to give like tons of tutorials on that because it's a lot of work. But basically what we'll do is we'll take an artist from the ground up. So if they have the art, we'll help them generate the NFT projects. And there's a lot of different types of NFT art projects and we kind of host all of them. Um, but we'll take them from zero to their smart contracts. We have a bunch of different types of contracts, everything from like just a basic mint, like you want to sell 10, right? To a thousand, to like you want your metadata to only be revealed on mint. We'll do that for you. Like you want to do a reverse Dutch auction. You want to do an auction, like kind of every type of smart contract we have available and different projects want to use different things. And then we'll also like help projects set up their own marketplaces, help them set up like their backend APIs. It's kind of like full suite in that in that specific yeah cool so like if i'm an artist just starting out i just found out about this weird thing called nfts my uh uh, cousin's boyfriend was wouldn't stop talking about it at thanksgiving right um and i'm like whoa this is really cool i can go on to byzantium talk to somebody or like have some kind of interaction where you're gonna help me walk through everything I need to do to take my painting or my digital drawings or whatever and create this, this, uh, the, the whole system that like put it into NFT form and start selling right then and there. Yeah. So our thought is we want the artist to just be able to do what they're good at and be the artist. And there's no reason for them to have to learn how to, deploy a smart contract and, and do all the technical stuff, they're good at art. And so we want them to focus on that. Um, so we want to be able to, uh, you know, a big passion of ours is enabling others. And, you know, this space is decentralized and prim- permissionless. But in, in, in practice, you know, if you want to deploy, if you want to launch an NFT, you do have to have a smart contract that, you know, defines that NFT. And so we know that in practice, that is a limiting factor for artists. So, you know, we feel passionate about being able to help them get their art out there and being the service that, that takes care of all of that technical um, side of things. Wow. That's really, really cool. Cause this space is so confusing, especially in the crypto world. You feel like there's so much get rich quick schemes almost, or it feels like, bro, buy this cryptocurrency and it'll be great. It feels like an, an, an MLM for dudes. Like my wife is hooked, hooked on essential oils and they're like, if you buy this many essential oils and they're like, it's great for your skincare and it's perfect for your teeth. And I'm like, how do I put this on my teeth? And how is this going to make us money? And they're like, it will make us money when more people buy them. Like it, that, that feels similar in the crypto space, but for dudes talking about money <laughs> and ones and zeros. And with this NFT thing, it's, there's all this weird stuff and pixelated images and <laughs> monkeys doing weird things. And it's just profile pictures. And I'm confused about what's actually happening in this world. How is for the naysayers out there how is this nft land not just another mlm pyramid scheme where you guys are just going to take all my money and i think one day i might get rich and have a car or something or i don't know you know what i'm talking about i totally i think this is a brilliant question so and honestly like i know plutus and i have had this conversation for years and years and years right of like what is the utility here so at the end of the day, right, this is my optics. Take it with a grain of salt, right? Clearly wear a Byzantium hat. So take everything I'm about to say with a grain of salt and do your own research. But like my view of the world, right, is the way we typically, like even the reason we decided to build on stacks, like if I'm looking at just like investing in a pure crypto, and we'll get into the NFTs, is that you got to look at these things as like they're economies, right? Like you got to look at it almost like I look at the United States, or I look at the city of Miami, or I look at the city of San Francisco, or the city of New York, or I look at a country like Ukraine, or I look at Japan, right? What you're looking for there is a couple of things, but the most it's productivity, right? It's like, is this country or is this ecosystem or is this city providing value to the world from a utility standpoint? And I think that's one of the amazing things about like Bitcoin and like crypto in general is that it gives your money more utility, Right. In that I can trade it with, I can trade it with more people in the world. I can put it into a smart contract. They can do things, right? Um, there's just more utility there. 
on the NFT space, like one of the big utilities, we haven't talked about this, is it gives just at a basic level, right? You take a token or you take art or you take something people really understand, like say a concert ticket, right? If you're an art artist or you're a musician and you, for the people who don't really know the music world, musicians make the majority of their money playing gigs or playing concerts. It doesn't matter how big you get, it's still on ticket sales, right? So what's going to happen is you and a venue are going to create tickets and you're going to sell them one time, initial sale, right? And that's where you make the majority of your revenue, even if you're streaming on Spotify and selling records and everything. Yeah, I mean that and merch, right? And merch. So you get one time, you get a one shot deal, you're going to sell out a stadium. But we all know it, right? Like people come in, they buy those tickets at the base price and then they jack them up, right? It's called scalping, right? Where there's this whole secondary market for these tickets. The artist doesn't have access to that, right? The venue doesn't have access to that. But in NFT world, right? In smart contract world, you can bake it into the code that, hey, every time this thing sells on a secondary market, say 5% is going to go back to the original artist. So just in that piece alone, there's a huge amount of utility to artists to go the NFT route. And there's a lot of other crazy things you can do. Like I was listening to Kevin Rose. He was talking about like in wine, right? It's not all tied to art. Let's say these like famous like wine vineyards, right? Like boutique vineyards, right? They may be selling, um, you know, they have like what are called allocation lists to get on a list, right? So, so there's like 200 people and all it does is it gives you the right to buy a bottle, right? So all it, they don't make a lot of wine. So you have to get on a list to get the right to buy a bottle. And basically some of these lists can be at 50 years long. People literally have to die to get on it. But what they're doing is they're actually NFTing that spot in line. Right. So you get an NFT, you now have the right to buy that bottle and there's a monetary, like you can trade your lot, your allocation, right? There's a whole secondary market of what you can do. It's not just a spot in line. You can actually sell your spot in line and the vineyard has access to that secondary market. So there's just a lot of utility here. Um, we're seeing it in the art space. There's a reason it's in the art space. It gives artists the ability to actually kind of build a name and a new domain. But then there's lots of other things. I think another thing that's happening, and I'll kind of shut up here in a second, is this world, right? When we look at especially profile picture projects, PFP projects, this world is synonymous for the most part, like anonymous or synonymous. Like I'm going under the name Obsidian. You can see my face potentially. I don't know if it'll be in the podcast or not, but um, you don't really know who I am. So what's happening is like these entire economies are being built online where people don't know each other, right? And what's happening is we're trying to build culture and trying to build trust. And we're trying to build like an entire ecosystem on top of this synonymous network. And PFPs are a way for us to start to build identity and start to build groups and share a common cause. And that's one of the big reasons like PFPs specifically are taking off because it's a way to join a group and start to build identity and trust in the synonymous world. Yeah, and this isn't, uh, you know, it's not to say that Every one of these NFTs is be- going to become valuable. A lot will go to zero. Um, and that's just the truth. It's the same way with, with cryptocurrencies. There's a lot of them that have come out that, you know, are now zeros. Um, and, but what's fascinating is some will become just incredibly valuable. Um, but also as Obsidian was alluding to this technology that we're seeing, this is just the first phase and first iteration of how you apply it and you know uh, the the way that it works and and the broad application that it could have you know we believe that nfts could kind of help tokenize everything and organize a lot of the information in our world so um while you know it's hard to predict which one which PFPs will become valuable and be and hold their value over the next five years. Um, I would, I would place a, a very large bet that um, this is just the start for NFTs in general and for the technology, and that you know we're g- going to see more and more of our world tokenized via NFTs. Wow. Okay. Just talking to both of you guys, Plutus Obsidian, you make me feel smarter. Somehow what you're saying goes into my ear holes and I'm understanding it. And I really hope our audience like feels that as well. And hopefully they're like understanding it. Cause what you said right there of like, this is just the beginning. 
um, of what is possible with NFTs. And I think that's why uh, Raoyan and I are just so excited to be here and to talk about it and just to learn. Uh, we have no idea how this works. So we're going to ask all the stupid questions so you don't have to. I'm just so excited we could have both Obsidian and Plutus on. All right, guys, are you ready for a rapid fire round real quick? Just, you know, a quick four questions. No big deal. Let's do it. Wow, they're really confident. They're really confident just then. We're ready. Bring it. All right, Ramayam, hit him with a good shot. All right, so what's the best Twitter uh, to follow to learn more about NFTs? I know this whole world is on Twitter. Um, so what what do you think the best account to follow to learn is? Yeah, give me your number one. My number one favorite is uh, Vincent Van Doe. Uh, he's just an incredible collector on on Ethereum-based NFTs. And uh, yeah, it's just amazing to see what he finds and what he collects. And um, I love it. Can I give a secondary one? Uh, yeah, another one is Keyboard Monkey. Uh, he is uh, kind of got famous for his NFT trading skills this year, but he's very realistic about like the values and uh, the actual trading. But then he also drops just some good knowledge on what, what NFTs are now and where he sees them going. Beautiful. Awesome. Obsidian, do you have one? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to take maybe a different approach. Um, more from just Ooh. like what helped build like foundational knowledge from proof. Kevin Rose, right, and the Proof Podcast. Proof Podcast Twitter is just like, to me, if you want to learn about the NFT space, that's the place to go. Yeah, you sent us uh, Proof when you were just starting out, Matt. It's heady and good at the same time. I feel like I understood a lot more after that. Right. All right, second question. Which NFT project are you most excited about right now? On stacks or in general? Uh, you pick. Up to you. Um, uh, probably the proof NFT. Uh, Kevin Rose released a, an NFT utility token for basically like a community. Uh, there were a thousand of them. And I think it's just going to be fascinating to see why, like how he, how he does that. Because um, I think he's going to be a really good example of... Um, a new sort of utility and a new sort of use case for NFTs. People have talked about this a lot, but I don't think I've seen anyone do it well in practice yet. So I'm excited about that. I'll go, I'll go to the Stacks ecosystem. Um, picking one is going to be hard, but I'm going to, I'm going to throw out like three and kind of give why because each one of them are doing differently. So I would say from a, like probably the biggest NFT on Stacks right now is Megapont. Um, what I really like about the guys that are running it, they're, this is kind of like, it's art, right? And they killed it. They were the first guys to really kill the community aspect and like knew how to build community and engage with the community, which you'll find in a lot of projects. It's like kind of like the owners or the creators are like untouchable, right? You can't even like DM them. And they're just super responsive. They help build a community and they're doing killer art and they like, they care about the art and they care about doing everything right. So like Megapont was their first drop. They're about to do Robot Factory, which we're going to help with. It's a really interesting mechanics where you can like customize your NFT, et cetera. So from that, I just, I feel like I've learned and you'll get to know me. Like the things I'm interested in is like the people I'm learning from. So I just feel like I just learned a lot about how they've executed on it. Another amazing project is what's called Bitcoin Badgers. Setsu was like an early friend and kind of um, in the community. Um, What's cool about them, they did Bitcoin Badgers. They were the first question to do all GIFs. So there's no static images. Every single NFT is a GIF. So there's animations to it. And then they're doing like 3D modeling. And then they're going to end up releasing a, kind of a game around it just to like help build that community. So for them, like why I like that is they just did a lot of unique things, right? Where they're taking every Badger. One, it was already animated. Now they're doing like 3D models. So you get a 3D model. But also you can get baby Badgers, right? It's just cool ways to like interact with the NFT. Um, and then the last one is like Bitcoin monkeys. Like these guys, um, what's interesting about them, like aside from the art is like the way they think about building community mechanics. Um, and 
it's really fascinating. Like when I talk to those guys, I'm like, okay, you understand community mechanic building better than anybody I've talked to. Right. So I feel like I've just observing them have learned a lot. Everything from like the incentive mechanisms, like how to create micro economies inside the actual NFT itself, like how to expand. Um, and what's interesting is like these good projects are run by very smart people, right? They're not like, it's, it's weird. Like they are at the top of their field in other fields and they've seen NFT space as a creative outlet. Um, and so those are my, my top favorite projects in the moment. Awesome. Next question. So this is right up your alley. If you could have a soundtrack for your life, what would be your getting ready in the morning routine song? Like the opening scene of the movie, you just like woke up, getting out of bed. Brushing your teeth, making the coffee. Come on, what do you got? How is this the question that stumped you? Like that's... <laughs> These always stump me. All right, I'm going to throw a curveball. I've had a lot of different songs run through my head here. And I don't even know the name of the song. It's just a theme. Yeah, yeah, I, sing it for us. I would... No, 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 I can't sing it for you. I'm a horrible singer. <laughs> I'm going to go with something like a song from like The Dark Knight Rises. Just just Hans Zimmer. Oh. Just, it's more like an epic, an epic feeling when I wake up in the morning. Dude, just that, just that epic boom, 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 brushing my teeth, like really just like intense score to your like very mundane morning. I love it. Man, um, I'm probably going to go a little bit different than that. And, and I think it's just because of the, the stage that we're in with Byzantium and, and how much fun it is. I uh, grew up loving punk rock and whenever I listen to it, it just makes me happy. Um, so probably something like Blink-182, you know, I'm just having fun right now and, uh, feel like that's, uh, that's kind of what's, what's going on. So, um, yeah. There you go. Do you have a song? Do you have a specific song like first date or, uh, all, all, the, I mean, all the small things is great. Uh, that one would probably be the most common to be running through my head. Um, so, but really any of them. It, this is, I think this is an important note. Like, I can't tell you, I've giggled more in the last three and a half months than I have ever. Probably since I was like, six. like, we laugh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last question. Where do people go to keep up with you and Byzantian and what's going on? Where do people, how do people get in contact with you? Easiest way. Byzantian Twitter. Uh, that's the best way to to keep up with what we have going on. And then you can also hop in our, our discord. Uh, the, the link to the discord is in our uh, Twitter profile. You can find us on Byzantium.xyz. It's our URL website. All links are there. Twitter, discord, the whole shebang. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. We'll put it all in the, in the show notes as well. So people can just click it right there. Thank you so much, dudes. I've like one learned a lot Two had a lot of fun. Three, I have now have all the small things stuck in my head. So thank you so much for that, Plutus. Uh, <laughs> all right. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. A lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you, guys. It was fun. Whoa. That was crazy. I feel like I, every time Obsidian or Plutus talk, I feel like I instantly got another level smarter. Right, 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 right. The thing that I really liked about this conversation was how Obsidius and Plutus can kind of explain this in a really simple way like obsidian had those great analogies talking about you know like what a fungible token is versus what a non-fungible token is and explaining it with everyday life stuff that that normal people understand and i think that's something that's really missing in the whole nft ecosystem and world is all the people that are in there kind of know everything kind of know how everything works but when they try to explain it, it's like, uh, I have no idea what you mean. That was a lot of like acronyms and, and uh, like finance talk and I'm just a regular person. Right. Um, Ooh, so, so good. I really appreciated that about this conversation, how they can just bring it down to, you know, an understandable, digestible level. It's like that Einstein quote, right? If you can't explain something simply, you don't understand it well enough. These guys, 
definitely understand this technology and this world to the point where they can explain it really simply. And they've built this whole platform, this whole marketplace in a way that's like they can take an artist from zero to a hundred from having no idea how NFTs work or what they are to having a fully released and put together project that has functionality and all of that stuff. So that's just killer. And that's something that we really need in this space. I'm 100% going to share this episode with my mom right. because I feel like she could finally understand what NFTs are, which is the goal. Got to get your mom. Got to get your mom on board, man. Always. So make sure you share this podcast with your mom when she when you're learning about NFTs <laughs> because she needs to know. Also, make sure you subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at airdrop underscore XYZ. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time.